Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, Before I begin my message this morning, I'd like to share with you some good news, if you'd be interested in hearing some good news, would you? I, I like that. For those of you who are visiting with us, we are actually right in the middle of a three-year giving initiative that we've called Beyond These Walls. Uh, Eighteen months ago, we set out on a, on a goal of eliminating every last dime of debt that we have in this church with the dream that when we do that, we would free up the money that normally has been going to pay off a mortgage to be able to serve, not within our walls only, but to move beyond our walls and into our community, into our region like we have never done before. It was a really a lofty dream. Uh, we launched it, as I said, uh, a year and a half ago. And when we started Beyond These Walls, our total debt was $5.4 million. That's a lot of debt. I'd like to share with you uh, the amount that we have paid off to date as of this last week. Would you be interested in hearing that? We have paid off, as of this week, $2,754,000 in our debt. What's particularly exciting, if you've done the math, is that represents more than the halfway point. So we have made it past half. We are starting down the downhill side. Uh, We still have got some work to be done, but I am confident that we're going to make it. I'm so proud of all of you for your sacrifice, great and small. Um, In 18 months, we're going to pay off the last dime of debt on this church, and we are going to free this church up to do things like we've never done before. St. Andrew's is really uh, a celebration of our heritage. It's a celebration of the legacy that has been handed down to us by our four parents. Well, when we pay off that last piece of debt... That's going to be part of our legacy, isn't it? We're going to hand off this, con- this church and its ministries to a next generation uh, who will be unburdened by the debt that we have been taking care of and freed up to do things that we can't even imagine right now. So thank God for that. Thank God for your faithfulness. And would you join me in just uh, thanking the Lord in prayer right now? God, I I do thank you for the generosity of your people. You have stirred the hearts, not because we're going to get another building out of it or another piece of land out of it. You stirred our hearts because it's a chance for us to give ourselves away. I love the instinct that that represents. It's perfect for what we're talking about in this coming season of a spirit of hospitality, of concern for the outsider. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless us. That which you have begun, God, we pray that you will bring it to completion. And we do so in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. St. Andrew. St. Andrew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. I'm sure you know that. The town that is named after him in Scotland, of course, is the home of golf. And if you're a golfer, you know that. What you may not have known is that that town is also the home of Presbyterianism. Did you know that? So if you're a golfing Presbyterian... It's the perfect place to do your PhD, which is exactly what I did. The town got its name because an ancient monk named Regulus deposited some of Andrew's bones, his relics, in that community for safekeeping. It was quite a list that he had. It was a kneecap and an arm bone and two fingers, three fingers, sorry, three fingers and a tooth. Uh, 
Yes, all very exciting stuff. I know we don't cotton to that kind of stuff now, but in those days, it was a big deal. And in fact, they became objects of great veneration and pilgrimage. They built a huge cathedral, in fact, to house those relics and uh, to welcome the pilgrims who traveled from all around Europe to come and to pray there at that place. Uh, St. Andrew became so important to Scotland that their flag, which you are familiar with, that is actually, what is that white thing on there? What do you know? What is it called? That's the St. Andrew's cross, because tradition says that St. Andrew was crucified on that shape of cross. So there are a lot of traditions surrounding Andrew. What's interesting is that the Bible really doesn't tell us that much about him. We know that he was a fisherman. We know that he was Simon Peter's brother. But apart from that, we wouldn't know anything else except for the gospel writer John. I think John must have had a kind of a soft spot in his heart for his brother Andrew, his friend Andrew, because he tells us a little bit more about him. In fact, there are three tiny little stories about Andrew. We're going to look at all three of them this morning. And I am interested in them because each one of them uh, represents the same quality that we find in Andrew. So listen up and see if you can figure out uh, what that quality is, okay? The first story comes from John chapter 1, if you want to turn to them, all of them come from John. In John chapter 1, we're introduced to a different John, John the Baptist. John had disciples, followers, just like Jesus would have followers. And one of those followers was Andrew. One of the disciples of John the Baptist was Andrew. But one day, as John was standing there with his disciples, Jesus walked by. And and John pointed to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And we, are, we read that Andrew and another one of John's disciples left John behind and began to follow Jesus. This is what is recounted in that story. Verse 41, Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. All right, that's snippet one. Here's snippet two. The second story comes from John chapter 6. It is the story of the feeding of the multitudes. That, by the way, is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. And this, they were in on a hillside near Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been teaching for hours, and he discerned, of course, that the people were hungry. And Jesus became concerned for them. And so he asked the disciples to get food for the hmm, 15,000 people that were sitting there. They were, of course, flabbergasted at the request, but again, Andrew steps up. We read this in John 6. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? The third story from, about Andrew comes in John chapter 12. Now Jesus is not up in the north in Galilee. He has traveled down to Jerusalem. He's there for the feast of Passover, which was a big deal to the Jewish people. And here's what we read. Among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we have these three little snippets of the story of of Andrew. You know, it must not have been easy living in the same house as Simon Peter. 
Would you think? I don't think it would have been easy growing up in the shadow of that larger-than-life figure. I don't know whether Peter was the elder brother or not, but he sure acts like the elder brother, doesn't he? Peter just sucked the air out of the room. He was always in the spotlight. He's always talking. Sometimes he speaks well, sometimes not so well, but he is the guy who is center stage. And poor Andrew, by contrast, He was kind of in the shadows, wasn't he? Far less conspicuous. And he doesn't stand out like Simon does in the gospel story. But there is one thing about Andrew that he stands out in. And it comes in all three of our stories. Did you notice what that same quality is? In every instance that we see something more about Andrew, he is introducing someone to Jesus. He is bringing someone closer to Jesus. In John chapter 1... He has the opportunity, if you read the rest of the story, Jesus says, why don't you come over to where I'm staying and hang out with me? Now, if you're looking for the Messiah, you think you found him, what a perfect opportunity. You'd want to run as fast as you could to go to the house of Jesus. But we read something very interesting. After Jesus extends this invitation to Andrew, Andrew said, we are told that first, that's the word that's in there, first, he went to find his brother, Simon. How excited he must have been. And yet he restrained that because he was more interested in bringing his brother to be a part of what he was about to experience. And aren't we glad that Andrew introduced his brother Simon Peter to the Lord Jesus. Then in the second instance, when the disciples were faced with the impossible task of feeding multitudes of people with, out in the middle of nowhere, we again see Andrew step up. And he, he notices this little guy with a ridiculously small lunch pale, and he brings him to Jesus. And then when they are in Jerusalem for the Passover, a group of tourists, Greek tourists, they weren't Jews, but they were there, they, they want to meet Jesus. So they, they approach a guy named Philip, who was one of the disciples. Philip takes them to Andrew, and Andrew then takes them to Jesus. Now, I've never quite understood why Philip couldn't have just taken him to Jesus. He was a disciple too. He could have cut out the middleman, but it wouldn't have been as good for my sermon, so I'm grateful for that. (laughs) So this uh, morning, we are going to begin a sermon series that will run for the next five weeks called Your Welcome. And for you grammarians, you're going to notice that it's spelled incorrectly and it's probably grating on you. That's okay. They let it just grate away. We did it on purpose because I want to ask all of us over these coming weeks, a potentially irksome question. And that is this. How is your welcome? How do you do at welcoming those that you know into the presence of Jesus? When you read the New Testament, especially all of the Bible, but especially the New Testament, you discover that hospitality was a high value in the early church, an enormously high value. I wonder how it is today in God's church here. And if you were to grade yourself just on on your own, if you were to grade yourself about how good you are at hospitality, how welcoming you are for the sake of Jesus, what grade would you give yourself? You don't have to call it out. Just tell yourself in the middle of your head here, what grade would you give yourself? Our time in Jonah recently has actually set us up for this conversation. Whether you realize it or not, it was on purpose. If you recall, Jonah was called to go and preach to a group that was outside of them, the Ninevites. He was a prophet of God, and Jonah was fine when he was hanging out with his own people, preaching to his own people, talking to his own people. But it was when God sent him to outsiders, to those who were not his people, especially the yucky Ninevites, that Jonah was not the least interested in doing what God asked him to do. 
How about you? And I'm not talking about you welcoming the brutal people of your life, your enemies, the people that hate you. I'm I'm not even going there, although Jesus goes there sooner or later. I'm not asking about that. I'm asking how, about how well you do at welcoming your neighbor or your workmate or your schoolmate or even welcoming the person who is new to the church who wandered in here and tried to sit down in the pew that you were saving for someone else. Yeah, I'm paying attention. <laughs> how is your welcome? What would it look like if Chapel Hill, we are known for a lot of things probably in this community. What would it look like if Chapel Hill, the biggest church in the community, were known for being the most welcoming church in the community? And you might have noticed that over the recent months, hospitality has actually been getting a lot of attention from us. We have done a lot to warm up this place. We've encouraged you to greet someone that you don't know. And you did a great job on that when we asked you to do that. We've asked you to move to the center of the pew when you sit down so that latecomers don't have to crawl over the top of you. We've begged you not to save seats. We've warmed up our foyer with some beautiful furnishings that I think are so much more welcoming and comfortable, don't you? And we even hand out mugs to our first-time guests, and they get a phone call later that week to say, thank you, we're really glad that you came. So we've been doing a lot more to be better at welcoming people into our church family. Some of you have noticed and appreciated it. Some of you have noticed and not appreciated it so much. We heard comments like, why are we focusing so much on newcomers? Why are we focusing so much on hospitality? There's a couple of reasons. First of all, I would say primarily it's because Jesus wants us to. Jesus was one who sought out the newcomer, the stranger, and welcomed them in. It is the heart of Christ to do that. So that's the most important The second reason that we do it is simply this. We're not nearly as good at this as we think we are. Not we and not the church nationally. We are not nearly as welcoming as we think we are. A nationwide survey was done of church members and asked them the same question. How friendly is your church? 97% of church members who were surveyed said our church is really, really friendly. It is the most warm warm and welcoming place that you will find. 97%. Then they went to the visitors who went to those same churches and asked them the same question. How friendly was this church? You know what their response was? 3%. Only 3% of guests felt like they that the churches they had visited were friendly. So 97% of members said, yes, we're friendly. And 97% of guests said, no, you're not. Now, when we think about that for ourselves, what does that suggest? Well, it might suggest that we are friendly with each other. We love each other. We love hanging out with each other. We love talking to each other. We have our own little spots back in the foyer where we like to go and hang out after church and kibitz about the game and whatever. How wonderful the sermon was. Stuff like that. (laughs) And as we do those things, we are, I'm sure, unintentionally excluding or ignoring our guests. You wouldn't do that at home. If, a, if someone knocked on your door, you went to the door and opened it up and brought them inside, you wouldn't just go back and go about what you were doing. You would welcome them in. You would take their coat. You would ask them to be seated. You would get them something hot to drink in a Chapel Hill mug. 
You would sit down and then you would direct your focus to them, right? You would spend time paying attention to them. That's how you treat guests. Now, I realize that we Northwesterners are not as good at hospitality as Megan and her bunch from the South. I do get that. We all get that. But at least that much we understand. That is how we treat a guest when they walk through the doors of our homes. But we sometimes forget these basic courtesies when we come to church. And instead of thinking of ourselves as hosts, we sometimes see ourselves as customers. Which means that we can be more focused on our own comfort, our own familiarity, our own fulfillment than we are in ensuring that our guests feel welcomed and have a profound experience with God and with God's family. Andrew was a natural at this, though. He was just a natural-born welcomer. He was more interested in helping others meet Jesus, even than he was spending time with Jesus himself. That's the story about him and, and uh, in chapter 1, which is so profound to me. He had this chance to go and hang out with Jesus, but he resists what must have been a great pull so that he could first, that's the word we read, first go and find his brother and bring him along. Andrew was good at bringing people who were away from Jesus towards him. He brought Andrew, he brought his brother. He brought the Greeks who wanted to meet Jesus. He was also good at taking people who are already near Jesus and bringing them closer to Jesus, like he did with his little guy in his lunchbox, right? So on this St. Andrew's weekend, as we talk about and think about our, his, the namesake of this service, I want to ask this simple question. How are we doing on this as a church? Personally, how are you doing at this? When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time? Or when was the last time that you welcomed a stranger who had already come to church and, uh, and you didn't know who they were? When did you say last, you know, I'm not sure if you have a church home, but if you don't, I have one. I love Chapel Hill and I'd love to take you there. When did you say that last? Or when was the last time that you saw a stranger standing in the foyer with that typical Chapel Hill deer in the headlight look of what in the world am I in the middle of here? And you said, you know, I don't believe I know your name. I'm Mark. I'd love to hear your story. Or could I take you down to the nursery before we sit down for worship? Or would you like to come and sit down with me? We would love to welcome you into our pew. Or could I take you to Hebrews afterwards and buy you a cup of coffee? When was the last time that you did anything like that? I do realize that practicing hospitality can be disruptive and, uh, and, and distracting. It can take us out of our rhythm, out of our zone, out of our relationship circle even. It might even get you in trouble. It got me in trouble Friday. Friday, I was in a conversation at a, a, re- a restaurant for breakfast with someone, and I was so wrapped up into being hospitable that I, it wasn't until I got home that I realized... I didn't pay my bill. I dined and dashed. So I went back to the restaurant later that day and went up to the girl and I said rather sheepishly, I'm afraid I left her without paying my bill. And she said, Pastor Mark? I said, no, you have mistaken me for someone else. But if we're not willing to be disrupted or inconvenienced a little bit, we will never be very good at being Andrews. And we need to be more welcoming. 
We need to be more hospitable, my, hospitable, my, my sweetheart church, because we're not as good, as good at this as we think we are. We are great with each other. We're not as great with those who are guests. So then what holds us back? If that's true, if we are part of the national trend, assuming you want to be better, and I realize that's not true for every single person, and if that's not the case for you, you're going to have to work that out with the Lord. But for the rest of us who I think would say, yeah, I want to be better at this. I, I want to welcome people who walk through our door and let, help them to have a great time. If that's you, then we've got to ask, what keeps us from doing that? Why are we not more welcoming as individuals or as a church? And so I came up with a list of possible obstacles. There are actually more, but you can only preach so many points in one sermon. So I came up with about five things that might hold us back. And I thought I'd go down that list. And you listen and say, you know what? That's mine. That's my obstacle. That's what keeps me from being hospitable, okay? And what's very, very cool about this is every single word starts with F. And you know how important that is to me. So every, here are some possible obstacles. Uh, we, we may not be as welcoming as we'd like to because we are fearful, feckless, forgetful, friendless, or fake. Why don't you say those with me? Fearful, feckless, forgetful, friendless, or fake. Let's look at each of those. Fearful. Maybe we don't invite friends. Maybe we don't reach out because we're afraid. We are afraid that we might look like a religious nut, or we're afraid that we might get in trouble at, at work because we're not supposed to talk about religion at work, or we are afraid that we might get asked questions that we don't know the answers to, or we're afraid that we'll fail. What if I ask them and they say no? So maybe, maybe you have a hard time being as welcoming because you're fearful. Feckless. Feckless means what? Lazy. It means lazy. But I needed an F word. A different F word. (laughs) Feckless. Uh, We intend to invite our friend. We intend to invite someone to go and have a cup of coffee afterwards. We intend to move somewhere else in the sanctuary and sit down with someone that we don't know and and welcome them a little bit. We intend to do that, but honestly, we're just kind of too lazy to actually do it. So we, we talk a good game, but we never get around to actually pulling the trigger. We're just kind of lazy. We're feckless. We're fearful. We're feckless. Have I touched on yours yet? Maybe we're forgetful. Uh, here's, this one's for the veteran Christians, and there's a lot of you in this crowd. We forget how wonderful it was to meet Jesus in the first place. We forget what it meant to us to discover that our sins have been forgiven, that Christ had died for us, and that by a simple prayer of faith, we could have our sins forgiven and be welcomed into his family for now and for all of eternity. We forget how excited we were about that. It's like the, it's like the neglectful spouse who forgets how desperately in love he was with that bride of his at one point. Our love grows stale. We forget how wonderful it was to first discover Jesus. And if our love grows stale, we aren't as excited about Jesus. It's hard for us to get excited about bringing someone to him. So maybe you've forgotten your first love for the Lord. The fourth one that I would suggest is friendless. One of the problems about being a Christian and a church person is that pretty soon all of your friends are Christians or church persons right? That's kind of my issue. I realize I just don't know that many non-believers. It's one of the reasons I did Alpha. I want to meet people who are not church people, who are not believers yet. 
And I needed to find a way to do that. Do you have any unchurched or dechurched friends? If you don't, we might need to stretch those wings a little bit. The final obstacle might seem harsh, and I don't mean to be, but it, it, it's the question, maybe it's because of your fake. I mean, you claim to be a, a follower of Jesus. You claim to be a, a committed member of his church. But the truth is, if we're not, really, if it's a facade, if you're a spiritual phony, then why would you invite someone into a closer relationship with Jesus than you yourself have? It wouldn't cross your mind. So, if you aren't an Andrew, if you can't recall the last time you invited a, someone to church or, or reached out in this church building to someone that you did not yet know, maybe it's one of these that's the, the reason for it. Maybe you're fearful or feckless or forgetful or friendless or fake. And here's the deal. If you are content with the way you are, if you are like the, the country club member who doesn't want new members in the club because they steal your favorite tea time, then you may have no interest in changing. But I'll bet most of you do. I'll bet most of you would want to be better at this than we are. And if so, then how do we set about that? First of all, we've got to pray. Because if you've identified these speed bumps in your own life, you need help changing those. You need the Spirit to change you. So if you're fearful, you need to pray that the Spirit will give you more courage. If you're feckless, you need to pray that the Spirit will give you more discipline. If you're forgetful, you need to pray for spiritual renewal in your own life. If you're friendless, you need to ask God to give you some more unchurched friends. And if you're a spiritual phony, you need to ask Jesus to really be the Lord of your life. That'd be a starting point. As we pray, pray into the area of our life that needs some attention. But beyond that, praying is good. Praying starts is important. But then let's do something. So I'm going to give you a couple of things you could do. First of all, you could join me because what I've decided is I am going to do the very best. I'm going to keep my eyes open and my heart open. And in the next five weeks, I'm going to find someone that I can extend an invitation to come to church. I, I'm going to, I'm, by God's grace, I'm going to invite someone to come to church. Now, how many would join me in a commitment over the next five weeks to have your heart open, pray about it, and, and if the opportunity presents itself, invite someone to come to church with you? How many would do that? Raise your hand. Awesome. You say, of course. I love that attitude. Keep your hands up because I'm taking notes. <laughs> awesome. All right. That's great. Thank you for that great response. I had the same response last night. Imagine if every single one of us brought one more. Here's the second thing I'd like us to do, though. I would like every single one of you to be a gorilla greeter. A sneaky, subterranean, hidden greeter on Sunday morning. Not part of a program, not signed up, not with a name tag. You just say, I am going to sneak up and be welcoming to somebody. They're not even going to see me coming. I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to keep my eyes open. I'm going to watch for people who may look a little confused. And I am, I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to maybe sit in a different place or I'm going to speak to someone after church and introduce myself to them or I'm going to take someone in to have a cup of coffee or how about this one? I'm going to actually smile at someone on the way in from the parking lot instead of scowling. I know what I'm talking about. I sit in the window. I watch you guys walk in. The psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But some of you walk in from the parking lot like that. 
You don't look that glad to me. Maybe we just start by smiling at each other on the way in. You're probably mad because someone stole your good parking spot. How many are willing to be gorilla greeters over the next few weeks? Gorilla greeters. All right. Awesome. Thanks for the great response. I knew that that would be your heart. And you'll probably forget. And over these weeks, we're going to remind you. You know, you walk through the doors of amnesia, it all goes. But we will, we, we will refresh you. Here's the other thing. If you happen to be a guest with us for the first time today, you're probably going to walk out here feeling like you've got a big old target painted on your chest. <laughs> I, I hope that's not the way you feel. I hope instead you hear this from our heart, that the, the best thing that ever happened to us was when we met Jesus and became a part of his family. And we are really excited that you are here and hope that this might be the place where all of those things could happen for you. So I hope you'll f- forgive the pressure that you might feel uh, and welcome the warmth that it might present to you. One of our sacred traditions on St. Andrew's weekend is to scroll down through the names of every single member of this church who has gone to be with the Lord. And I, I'm always touched by this. I look up there and about, you know, two pages in, that's where I came. And I watched from Tom Everett on and I realized that those are my people. And it's, it's a very profound moment as I remember and as we remember our church parents who who made a place for us and who nurtured us, who raised us up in the faith, who, who gave us a place to join them in the pew. That We are here because of the, the names that we're about to see. And I pray that ours will be similarly a legacy of welcome and hospitality and faithfulness so that generations to come, they will look and see our names on that screen and say, thank God that they welcomed me into his church. As you see the name of your loved one scroll by, in honor of that person, I would invite you to stand and remain standing. Hollis Small. Dorothy Wainwright. Connie McCurdy. Nadine Thompson. Bob Sonneman, Don Wilcox, Arthur Sack, Tom Walter, Dick Brinstad, Richard Seifer, Bob Moore, Ruth Askren, Aldina Nichols, Tom Waller, Wilma Conan, and Ruth Rohrbaugh. Would you all please stand in honor of our friends? Thank you for being here to celebrate this part of our heritage, our legacy, the faithfulness, the fact that we stand on the shoulders of other giants before us. May we be those to someone in some generation future. Let's walk out of here with a sense of God's blessing and encouragement as we seek to be better at welcoming people into God's presence. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, please remain standing.